Good morning. We continue our series in the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite sections of all times. Take a moment, if you would, right now, and write down an answer to this question. What makes you rich? What makes you rich? Especially as we head into this tax season, understand the IRS is not looking over your shoulder. What makes you rich? Now, did you put down your bank account or all the assets that you have? I'm guessing you probably didn't. Hardly. Because there's so many things that money cannot buy. Good health. Amen? I didn't understand when I was a young buck going into ministry why these older folks always prayed for health until I got older and take my collection of pills every morning. Make sure I don't miss my one o'clock and then my bedtime pills. It's like, good night. How about a few close good friends? Someone that you can talk to and share some of your deepest secrets and frustrations and fears, and, and they don't judge you. They listen. They provide support and encouragement, and sometimes, sometimes a sharp word to put you back on path. How about a loving, secure home? Not a house, a home that you look forward to coming back to every night after a day of work. And there's a bit of sanctuary there in your home. How about a loving, supportive mate? And some of you who are single are saying, yeah, I don't have that. Can I just share with you something that was told me years ago by a single woman who said to me, Pastor, do you know what's worse than being single? And I said, what? And she said, being married to the wrong person. Whoa, I've never forgotten that. It's wisdom. But to have a mate that you can come home to and share the struggles of the day and the joys of the day, and you have a listening ear, supportive mate, someone you know is praying for you daily. How about a steady job? something that you can go to every day and that you work hard, but you know it's going to be there the next day. How about a church family that supports you? Amen. So many that I've talked to are so thankful for this church and for the ways that they have been ministered to as they've gone through hard times. How about a God who loves you? A God who's crazy about you. A God who is on your team, who chose you before the foundations of creation to be one of his sons. What a blessing each one of these are. And yet we find ourselves at times complaining, envying others, griping about our jobs, and we struggle because life is hard. 
But I think so often we forget the riches that we have been blessed with. And it said last week, as we looked at verse 3, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's a settled statement. Past tense. So where is our thankfulness? Where is our joy? Where is our praise for God for all that he's done, all that he is doing right now, all that he's going to do in the future? And we get so caught up in the here and now that we forget to thank him for all that he's done. So I want us to look back at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 7 through 14 this morning as a continuation of the fact that we are blessed. We are blessed. And Paul is in these first three chapters of Ephesians going to teach us of all that we are in Christ. Now remember from last week, it was written by Paul, it was written to the church at Ephesus, and it was written while Paul was in prison in Rome. And so don't forget that, that the, the joy and the exuberance that Paul is expressing is while he's in chains. We looked last week at the first six verses, and I shared with you in verse 3, the pyramid of grace. I put it back in your bulletin in the message overflow section. Paul says he's given us blessings and then spiritual blessings and every spiritual blessing and then every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And finally, he just comes unglued. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He builds this crescendo this pyramid of grace. And we said last week in verses four to six, the selection of the Father. And we talked about election and adoption. And we talked about election versus free will. Which is true, folks? Which is true, election or free will? Both. Both. And it doesn't make full sense but they're both spoken of in the scriptures. They are both given as spiritual truth. And somehow we must hold them in tension in our own thinking. And anytime you hear someone go to one extreme or the other and hold an extreme position, not holding those both in tension, there's something wrong. We also talked about being adopted as sons, as adult sons with rights and responsibilities, we have been given an inheritance and we are now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And he says then in verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. He breaks out in this thanksgiving. And we're going to see a pattern through verse 14 because after every section, Paul will again break out in praise to each person of the Trinity. And so this first time, he praises the Father. Starting at verse 7, 
Paul then goes on and talks about the sacrifice of the Son. The sacrifice of the Son. Let me read verses 7 through 12. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now remember we said last week, verses 3 through verse 14 is all one sentence in the Greek. That's why it's a little choppy, and that's why it was hard to take breaths between the different phrases, because it's all one thought. So he's going to look in these verses at the sacrifice of the Son. In verse 7, the Son redeemed us. In him we have redemption through his blood. He redeemed us. It's present tense, which means there is a present and continuous reality. Am I redeemed right now? Yes. I was redeemed in the past. I'm redeemed right now. Now, that's a big 25-cent theologic word that I want you to understand. To be redeemed is to be released or delivered from a state of slavery. To be more specific, it was be to be freed from the bondage and guilt of sin and introduced into a life of liberty by the paying of a price. What Paul is saying is, in Adam, because I was a part of him, even back in Genesis 3, he was my great, great, so many fathers, he sinned. And that means that every person since Adam and Eve have also sinned. And as I was born and as I grew up, I have a nature to be a sinner just like you. Now, what can we do to change that? Nothing. Because we have been sold into the slave market of sin and Satan was our father. We did things we didn't like doing. Amen? The good that I want to do, I don't do. And that that I don't want to do, I do. Romans 7, who will deliver me from this bondage of death? However, Jesus Christ came along as the perfect God-man without a sin nature, and he said, I will pay the redemption price to take you out of the slave market of sin, and I will now make you one of my sons. 
not that I become a slave from Satan to a slave of Christ initially, no. He set me free to have a free will to follow him of my own volition. And as I understand all that he's done for me, I willingly become a slave, a servant of his. Redemption. The price that was paid for my redemption and yours was the shed blood of a perfect, innocent Savior. The Son redeemed us. Such a simple statement, so full of theological truth. Secondly, the Son forgave us. Back in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Forgiveness is experienced when an individual responds in faith to the gospel. It's available to all, but only becomes effective when I place my trust in Christ. Now, as I thought through what it means to be forgiven, the sacrifice of the Son completely satisfies God's justice. Completely. And that means that God no longer holds my sin against me. But here's the thing that blew me away. My past sins, all taken care of. My present sins, all taken care of. But here's the one. My future sins, all taken care of. All of them. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow that's going to be displeasing in a sense. That I'm going to know God's will and I'm going to do something different. My will. That is sin. It's already been taken care of. And some of you struggle with that to say, how could God forgive me for something in the future? Because the blood of Jesus Christ is that effective. And therefore, we can come into God's presence even though we have blown it that day and say, Father, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all sin that allows me to come into your presence and to speak to you as a loving father. All of my sins, past, present, and future, taken care of. God's completely satisfied. He will never hold the sins of a Christian against them because of the blood of Christ. Thirdly, the Son lavished His grace upon us. The Son lavished His grace upon us. Verses 7 and 8. According to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us. Grace is unmerited favor. We've said that repeatedly. We'll say it again. But someone once said, grace is getting something good you don't deserve. That's grace. 
And the word lavished is the idea of overabundance. And I've, I've used this illustration before, and as I get older, I'm realizing it probably isn't the best illustration, but Thanksgiving dinner. And I grew up in a big home, I mean, fairly big, and a number of people. And we'd invite friends and family over, and so I'd always watch to see how the gravy lasted through the day. And I'd always have to wait because I, at the time, loved gravy. And you know, you have your mashed potatoes that are just so creamy and you, and you put the scoop into it so it'll hold enough gravy. You know, and then you, you get the little ladle out of the gravy boat and you fill up the mashed potatoes and you, you don't want to be a pig, right? This is Thanksgiving though, and so you wait. Has everyone else had gravy here? Yes, we've all had gravy, Brian. And I get the ladle out and not just the one scoop, not just to the top of the potatoes, but you keep pouring it in and the gravy just rolls down the side of the potatoes and onto the stuffing a little bit and onto the turkey. And can I have one more ladle full, please? And just... Now, I don't do that anymore. But I lavished gravy upon those potatoes. God's grace is lavished on us. Do you get the point? God just doesn't say, okay, what do you need? Five bucks? Okay. I'll give you five bucks, no more than that. That's not our father. He'll say, what do you need? And we'll tell him and say, well, let me, let me blow you away. Let me provide for you over abundantly. He does that so often in our lives. The son lavished his grace upon us and he still does today. Fourthly, Verses 8 to 10, the Son has made known the mystery of his will. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, this isn't a mystery who done it. The definition of a mystery in the scriptures is previously hidden truth revealed by God's revelation. Something we did not know before. For example, a mystery in the scriptures would be the church. You read through the Old Testament and where does it talk about the church or a body of believers in Christ? and dwelt all by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not found. It's not revealed until Christ came and says in Matthew, I, I will build my church. And that's a new concept. He talks about now, how does God do this? In all wisdom and insight. Wisdom. 
the intellectual insight that comprehends spiritual truth. We have now been given a chance of comprehending spiritual truth. And he gives us insight, which means to discern the right action to take in any situation. That's insight. And what's the mystery? Found in verse 10. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The mystery is to bring everything in subjection to Jesus Christ in the future. He's going to control it all. He is going to be the Lord of all. That was a mystery until the New Testament. In verse 11, the Son has provided for us an eternal inheritance. If you wish to fill in your blank. The Son has provided an eternal inheritance. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now, notice in verse 11, it's past tense. The inheritance has been given. It is past tense, which means the inheritance is guaranteed. And he uses the word predestined, which is he planned beforehand. So God has decided that all believers will have an inheritance. Wow. Many of you have gone to the reading of the will of someone who's passed away. And it's, it's a sad time, but yet there's, there's some anticipation. What might be there? Well, for us who know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, all of us have an inheritance that was already decided long before creation started. And it contains one of the most strongest statements in the scriptures that our God is sovereign. Look at verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, God is on the throne. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. That means, now think about this, God has it all worked out. God has it all worked out. The end, now think about this, the end of time is already written. He gives us a, a glimpse into it in the book of Revelation. We know how the book ends. Who's on the throne? God. And he has a plan for each one of us to fit into that plan, that master plan of his. A plan that is glorious for us. And notice in verse 12, the resulting praise now to the Son. So that we who are also the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That, that phrase, the praise of his glory, repeated again. Christ is to be glorified. And we, we are 
trophies of His grace. Anyone here a trophy of His grace? Trophies of His grace, which He lavishes upon us every day. And as we spend time with others in the workforce, in our schools, there in our neighborhoods, and even in our own families, we're a trophy of God. We're a trophy of His grace. And we say that to all around us. So he has talked about the selection of the Father. He has talked about the sacrifice of the Son. And now in verses 13 and 14, he talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There's that little phrase again. Now, I didn't understand this. Side note, but I think it's important. In the book of Ephesians alone, there are approximately 59 references to the Holy Spirit. Now, in the entire New Testament, Ephesians makes up about a quarter of the total references to the Spirit of God in this one book. I don't think I ever understood how important this book is to understanding the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 13, the Holy Spirit seals us. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, in this verse, it talks about what we've heard. And hearing brings knowledge. It brings knowledge of the truth. But understand Knowledge does not bring salvation in and of itself. I can know a lot of truth and never act on it. Therefore, you must believe. You must exercise faith in that truth. If solid bench... Solid stool, I should stay. It, I think the glue is working today. I think it's still stayed. Now, do I just rest my water on this, or could I actually sit? I don't know if I should sit down on this because it might not hold me. It takes faith to say this will support my weight. To trust Jesus Christ is to say, I know the truth and I'm willing to now rely upon that truth for my future life with God. Now, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit seals us? If you would turn to your overflow section, I put a quote in there I'd like to read and for you to see. And I highlighted certain words in bold. 
seals at the time Paul wrote indicated security. It indicated authentication and approval. It indicated genuineness and ownership. God seals the believer by giving him or her the indwelling Holy Spirit who keeps the Christian in Christ. The Lord Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would permanently indwell believers. That is evidently why Paul referred to him as the Holy Spirit of promise. He places in us as believers the Holy Spirit who seals us. As I was looking at a commentary by Chuck Swindoll, he said, this passage is one reason why I unequivocally believe in the eternal security of the believer. If the third person of the Trinity has been placed in my life and I am then marked as God's possession, how can I void that seal? I don't know. Can I grieve him enough that he'll leave? No. Can I do something so bad that he says, I am done working with you? No, because our sins are no longer counted against us. So the indwelling Holy Spirit who seals us is that mark of ownership by God. As I thought about this verse, and I, I will not give you a rendition this morning, but the, the song, the secular song that came to mind was Sign, Seal, Deliver, I'm Yours, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and I had to find it on my phone and play the song to remind me that the, the lyrics are not bad, but the tune reminds us God's death on the cross the sealing of the Holy Spirit. He delivers us one day into his presence. We are his. Amen? Amen. We are his. And finally, in verse 14, the Holy Spirit guarantees our inheritance. The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance until we all acquire possession of it, uh, to the praise of his glory. This guarantee, this pledge or down payment, is the first installment with the guarantee that the rest would follow. In the Greek language nowadays, in modern Greek, this word that's used here has the idea of an engagement ring. It's the, the reminder that you are someone else's now. You're moving towards marriage. And if God, now think, if God puts down the down payment, will he finish making payments? Yes. Because yes. our sin's not an issue. One author said, in essence, the deposit of the Holy Spirit 
is a little bit of heaven in believers' lives with a, with a guarantee that there's more good yet to come. What a guarantee. At the end of verse 14, the resulting praise now to the Holy Spirit, to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is to be glorified. He indwells us for the duration of our time on earth here as Christ followers until we are translated into His presence. What a guarantee. Now back to your overflow, if you want to fill in some blanks there. We said last week that he blessed us immensely. He chose us unconditionally. He adopted us adoringly. Verse 7, he redeemed us graciously. He redeemed us graciously. Verse 7, he forgave us completely. Past, present, future. Verses 7 to 8, he showed grace to us lavishly, overabundantly. He revealed his mystery wisely. He granted us an inheritance eternally. He sealed us permanently. Amen? Permanently. And finally, he guarantees our salvation personally. He's the one that made the down payment. He's the one that's going to make the installment payment. He's the one that makes sure that it's all paid off. What does this mean for us? I'm indebted to Warren Wiersbe for some of these thoughts. Three things. Number one, true riches come from God. Amen? Amen. True riches come from God. All good gifts come from Him. And think about this passage we've just looked at. Each person of the Trinity is working on my behalf to make me rich. Now don't think money. He is richly blessing us. Because money can't buy spiritual riches. And I cannot earn them. I don't deserve them. I, I, I don't... Uh, Bargain with God for them. He gives them. And we enjoy the gifts that he gives because we know and love the giver. He showers, he lavishes. Secondly, all our riches come by God's grace and for his glory. All our riches come by God's grace and for his glory. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. God is to be praised for his works and his grace in my life. And I might be struggling today. Things might not be going the way I want them to. Is God to be praised today? Yes. Because his riches are new every morning. 
And now, now think about this. I think some of us think that the reason God is doing this is because he has pity on us. We, we are these abject sinners and, oh, they just need help down there. That's not our God. Our God loves you and me. And he demonstrates that love that he might be glorified. His creation reveals his wisdom and his power. But the church reveals his love and his grace. That's us. Thirdly, these riches are only the beginning. Think about that. We are all only learning how to begin to claim our spiritual wealth from the Lord. The longer we walk with him, the longer we search in his word, the longer we rely upon the Holy Spirit, the more we discover the, the depth of the riches we have in Christ. And I have yet to see the bottom. I have yet to plumb the depths. I have yet to fully understand how it all works in my life, but it does. We have promises from God that we have yet to begun to tap. And then, <laughs> there's heaven itself. Unencumbered, eternal, direct fellowship with God. Now you talk about rich. And as I enter into heaven, I step into eternity. <laughs> Never ending praise, and glorifying the Father. And he'll have work for us to do, things to accomplish to the praise of his glory. Are we rich? Yes. Is God worthy of our praise this morning? Yes. Would you just take a few moments right now and thank him and praise him where you're sitting right now.